Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's continued teaching about pure worship, this time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 28. We're going to begin in verse 19, and we're going to finish the chapter, which is to verse 28. Pure worship part two. Uh, if you have your Bible with you or something to look on, would you stand to your feet if you can, and we'll read the text. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 19. Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Do that right now. No, I'm just kidding. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for your living word. It is powerful. It is potent. It goes to the deepest parts of our hearts where we really need the work to be done in the inner man, and in the inner person. We need that sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit to help us because we battle the world, the flesh, the enemy. We battle our own pride. There's many things that can quench the Spirit. And we don't want it quenched. We want to fan into flame the gifts of God. We want to make sure that your power is manifest in our submitted lives. And that is the endeavor of pure worship. It's to be a man or a woman who is in communion with the living God, manifesting Jesus Christ in our lives. And it is a battle, Lord, but the battle belongs to you ultimately. But we know you work with us. You ask us to surrender and to follow and to be diligent. So help us find that uh, balance this morning. Help us open our hearts to your word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church in this moment. And I just want to take a moment to lift up our president and our first lady and many around them who are not feeling well and dealing with the coronavirus. We, may you have mercy on them. And I also pray, Lord, for our country because we are so divided. There's so much uh, anger and division, and I pray for civility. And I pray maybe this would be a moment where we could actually wake up and give each other some grace. But would you help us in all of those things to discern what's good and what is evil and to cling to what is good. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, last time we were together, we looked at the three positive exhortations in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you take a look to set the context, it says, rejoice always, 16, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this week I was trying <laughs> to remember those verses. Rejoice always when I didn't feel like rejoicing. Pray without ceasing when I was prayerless. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you. If you wondered what God's will for you is, this is it. 
These three little powerful exhortations or imperatives are so important, but they're also very challenging, amen, to everyday life, to try to always be rejoicing, always be praying, always be thankful. Those are the three positives. Now, we're going to get into the negatives in a moment, but before we do, the overall theme here is worship or sanctification, and this is a quote from R.C. Sproul on essential truths of the Christian faith. He says, since holiness is not found in ourselves, we must be made holy. The one who works to make us holy, to conform us into the image of Christ, is the Holy Spirit. As a third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is no more holy than the Father and the Son, yet we do not normally speak of the Holy Father or the Holy Son and the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit is not so much because of His person, which is indeed holy, but because of His work to make us holy. It is the special work of the Holy Spirit to make us saints. He consecrates us. The Holy Spirit fulfills the role of sanctifier. Our sanctification is a cooperative venture. We must work with the Holy Spirit to grow in sanctification, close quote. Scholars would say, in sanctification, there's positional sanctification being made right with God by grace, practical sanctification where we're being made more and more holy as we walk out this Christian life, and prospective sanctification, which is our future full redemption of our bodies, where the curse and all the junk will be no more in the millennial reign of Christ in the kingdom to come. That's prospective, that's future. Right now, we are in the process, if you're a Christian, of being sanctified. These verses are about that sanctification process and about the Holy Spirit working it out. And the first negative exhortation, you can tell it's a negative by the words do not, is do not quench the Spirit, literally the Spirit not quench, or if you have an NIV, it says do not put out the Spirit's fire. The word quench here is a word in Greek which means to extinguish, to put out, and it has the idea of stifling or suppressing divine influence in your life. There is a way that you can order your life to be very open to the things of the Spirit by opening your Bible, for example, opening your heart to worship, going to Bible studies, going to church, making sure you're trying to offer yourself every day as a living sacrifice. And then there's another way to stifle the things of the Spirit, to close out those things in your practical everyday life. And let's face it, we know a lot of believers that sit in churches every weekend, but their, their midweek life has little uh, to do with the power of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And that's what we really want to see. So we want to see it in our everyday experience. That's captured in this idea of always. Rejoice always. Pray always. Give thanks always. This is the idea of a daily walk, not just uh, church attendance where you punch a card or say, yeah, I was there. No, this is more about a life of worship. And so we don't want to stifle the work of the Spirit in our lives. We don't want to throw the blanket, if you will, on the fire of the Holy Spirit. This is symbolic. The Holy Spirit was manifest as fire, for example, in Acts chapter 2, something like tongues of fire on the heads of the early church, and we don't want to put it out. We don't want to extinguish the flame. We don't want to put a cover over the lamp. We let it shine. The positive injunction is in 2 Timothy 1.6, if you're taking notes, it says, fan into flame the gift of God. So we got to fan the flame. And if you've ever maybe lit a fire up in the mountains, you have that little thing where you can 
uh, pump air into the fire and that kind of pushes the flame up. It, adds, it fans the flame. That's what we need to do as Christians. There's an old chorus that many of you who have been around the church know, and it's this. It's light the fire again, O Lord. And I think we could sing that probably multiple times a day. Lord, light the fire again. Let that burn in my soul. Fan into flame the gifts of God. In the second century, Hermas maintained that both the doubtful mind and the angry temper grieved the spirit, for he was given as a cheerful or joyful spirit or to help us. The same kind of thing might be said well here of loafing or immorality or other sins about which Paul had occasion to warn his friends will quench the spirit in anyone's life. And as a result, you will lose spiritual power, spiritual joy. There will be a loss. What is the spirit's fire, you might be asking, and how does one put it out? Well, the context goes on to make plain that the activity in mind chiefly here is one of prophecy. In fact, the very next verse says this. It says, do not despise prophetic utterances. This is one way we can put out the Spirit. Generally speaking, it's something like this. I'll talk about prophecy in a moment and some of the debates about modern-day prophecy. But if a prophetic utterance goes out from a pulpit, let's just say we, we all agree that when the Word of God is foretold, when it's preached on, there's prophetic utterance that goes out. It's the word of prophecy. It's the living word of God. And if we despise that, if we say, ah, I don't want to hear that, or no, I'm not going to implement that, or that doesn't apply to me because I'm special, then what we're doing is despising a prophetic utterance. We're saying, no, that doesn't apply. Or I will stifle that, or I will look away, or I will put the blanket on that. I'm not going to let that burn in my heart. I'm going to try to shut that out. I'm going to try to turn up the volume so that I don't, I don't have to listen. Maybe I'll think about something else so that that word doesn't truly permeate my soul. That we could all do, right? Jeremiah said th these words. He said about God's word, and it was tough for Jeremiah in his day. He said, a burning fire shut up in my bones is how God's word is. I can't hold it in it cannot be quenched or controlled. An example of a ladder of Amos 2.12 is found in some of the people of Israel condemned the prophets. They said, for example, Micah 2.6, you can look at Amos 2.12, you shall not prophesy. They didn't want to hear it. So they said, prophesy no more. Or in the New Testament, preach no more in this name. We don't want to hear any more about this Jesus, this crucified one, this risen one. You will preach no more in this name. And they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you can be the judge. But for us, we cannot help but speak the things we have seen and the things which we have heard. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Please take the time to visit our website, walkintruth.com, to learn more about the program. And if you've been listening for some time and appreciate what the program has to offer, would you please consider giving a small donation? Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and we're able to broadcast on this station and do the podcast because of that support. That's also how we're able to do our 633 apologetic events for free. If you're a new listener, please don't give. We're just blessed that you're listening. But if you've been listening for a while, can you give $5 today? 
We believe that the Lord is faithful, and your $5 donation will go a long way to help us keep this ministry going. You can give your $5 donation when you visit walkintruth.com and click on Donate. That's walkintruth.com and click on Donate. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. An example of a ladder of Amos 2.12 is found in some of the people of Israel condemned the prophets. They said, for example, Micah 2.6, you can look at Amos 2.12, you shall not prophesy. They didn't want to hear it. So they said, prophesy no more. Or in the New Testament, preach no more in this name. We don't want to hear any more about this Jesus, this crucified one, this risen one. You will preach no more in this name. And they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you can be the judge. But for us, we cannot help but speak the things we have seen and the things which we have heard. I must, I am compelled to preach the gospel. Amen? Because the gospel saves. Does it make people uncomfortable at times? Sure. Does the word of God sometimes cramp my lifestyle? Yes. (laughs) Right? It's not always comfortable, but it's a fire. And part of the fire is cleansing in my life, rejuvenating. When a fire is in the right place, like in a fireplace, it brings warmth and comfort. You could say it this way. Don't block the cup. Don't stop the flow. Don't stifle the flames. Don't quench the sanctifying purposes of the Spirit. Don't smother His work either in you or in somebody else. If we hold, for example, uh, resentment in our hearts, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, which Ephesians 4 talks about. We can cause pain to the third person of the Holy Trinity by unresolved anger. And we're told not to do that. So here you get a little bit more of an insight about the cooperative venture of Sanctification, which just means to be made more holy and holy and holy. So we're not to quench the Spirit. Number two, we are not to despise prophetic utterances. Do not despise. The word despise there in Greek means to make of no account, to esteem lightly, to set at naught, or to despise utterly. First Samuel 2, verse 30, God says, Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, will be lightly esteemed. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's a way that a sermon can go out to a mixed multitude. One person is finding illumination and warmth and fire, passion, if you will, in it, and another person is saying, I don't want to hear that. I read it. Nonsense. 
right? And that is largely based upon the condition of our hearts. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, Jeremiah 23, 17, you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. They prophesy falsely. Jesus put it this way, no one can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Remember, you cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't do it. You will hold to the one and despise the other. Whether you don't realize it or not, you will secretly despise it in your heart. And there was a man after God's own heart in our Old Testament. I want you to turn to uh, several accounts. The first is in 2 Samuel. So you got the first five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel. Then you have Kings and Chronicles. Let's turn over there. A familiar story, 2 Samuel chapter 12 of David. So David saw Bathsheba bathing. He was enticed and he was with her, and he attempted to cover it up uh, by some clever ingenuity. It didn't work. He ultimately used the enemy's sword to kill Bathsheba's husband, which was Uriah. Uriah was on the battlefield fighting for the king, and David, in order, in a, an attempt to cover up his sin, killed Uriah. Nathan the prophet came to the king and told him a story. Many of you are familiar with the story about uh, neighbors. One was rich, one was poor, and this, these, uh, the poor family had this little ewe lamb that's actually fitting with Bathsheba's name. And this little ewe lamb was a pet to them, and it ate with them at the dinner table and so forth, like a, you know, a beloved pet. And the rich family had some visitors, and instead of taking from all of their major flocks, they took the one ewe, little ewe lamb from the poor family and they killed it and roasted it and fed it to their guests. David heard the story and he was very angry. And he wanted restitution to be paid. And Nathan, in a poignant moment in Scripture, said, he goes, that man will pay fourfold. And Nathan says, you are that man. David was staggered. Nathan 12.7 of 2 Samuel you are that man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I, 2 Samuel 12, 7, who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why, and here's the key for our text, have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil? In his sight, you've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Why, verse 9, have you despised the word of the Lord? That's David, who, by the way, wrote half of the book of Psalms. How is it possible that a man after God's own heart could be in a position to despise God's word? Because generally speaking, whenever we live in rebellion to what we know God says, we're despising it. We're at least lightly esteeming it. David did something like this. Yeah, I'm the king. Yeah, I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yes, God's done all this stuff for me. Yes, he would have given me much more. But I got to have her. Because I'm the king after all, and I can do what I want and be with who I want. And he, perhaps in those moments, he found justification or maybe the rules don't apply to me. And God said, no, they do. You've despised my word. Verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword 
There's consequences when we do this, brethren. The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. When we despise God's word, essentially we're despising God because the word of God is from God. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Now I want you to keep turning to 2 Chronicles. Actually, let's, let's first go to 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22. Let's see another example, and I'm, I'm going to give you some Old Testament examples of how people despised the prophetic word, and then we'll jump into some modern application. 1 Kings 22, verse 1. Three years passed without war between Aram and Syria, or I'm sorry, Syria and Israel, or Aram and Israel. 1 Kings 22, 2. And it came about in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, that's Ahab. Now the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know... Uh, that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram. So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle? Judah and Israel were two separate kingdoms at this time, at Ramoth Gilead. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people are as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Let's make sure that God is in this. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. These are all false prophets. And he said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I refrain? They said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat, uh, he, he could see through these guys. He said, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Not just a bunch of yes men who will tell you what you want to hear. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I, what's your Bible say? I hate him. <laughs> You've been listening to Pastor Michael's continued teaching about pure worship, this time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 through 28. And remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that the church behind Walk in Truth is Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. And we have another free 633 event coming on Wednesday, November 11th at 7 p.m. Pastor Michael will have a conversation with Dr. Diane Bull about breaking the chains that bind us, seeking truth about sexuality. You are, of course, invited, but if you're not in the area, you can watch live on our YouTube page. Get all the information and directions on our Living Truth app or by calling 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. That's the Living Truth app or call 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, as we're looking at Pure Worship Part 2, we are looking at some of the more controversial topics about the Christian life and worship associated with the church. And, hey, let's deal with one of them. One of them is called prophecy. Is prophecy for today? Is prophecy, prophecy just about the foretelling of the Word of God, like from a pulpit or in a Bible study? Or could someone get a word from the Lord, not adding to the Bible, of course, but could they get a word from the Lord for my life? And could God give me a word directly? And if so, how do I test that? Those are some of the questions that come up. And, you know, I heard a joke one time, someone said, uh, I asked the Lord if, if prophecy was for today in prayer. And he answered me and said, no, it's not for today. Or does God still speak to people today? And God said, no, <laughs> you know, that's a joke. I hope you got it. Uh, anyway, you get the point. I think we need to be cautiously open, as I say in this message. God is not to be put in a box, but we test everything by Scripture 
which is the objective standard, and we hold fast to what's good. Sometimes well-meaning people may not have heard from the Lord. It could be from the flesh. It could be uh, that they're, they're not hearing from God. But you never know. God could speak in a way for his specific purpose. I don't know how normative it is, but I do know that we need to be open, but let's make sure we test everything by the Word of God. Speaking of the Word of God, you're listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is what we're trying to do, walk in the truth of God's Word and do it together. Man, there is a beauty in us being together, partnering, fellowshipping, solidarity in the Lord. So glad that you're aboard. Hey, tell someone about what you're hearing. Support us if you can. You can find out more about the church behind Walk in Truth, which is Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I serve as senior pastor. When you go to walkintruth.com, just click on the church tab. I'd love for you to join us at one of the services at Living Truth. And you can find out about the church and all of the above when you go to walkintruth.com or download the Living Truth app in your app store. Look for the red logo with the pillars. We hope to see you at one of the services soon, and we'll catch you right here tomorrow, Lord willing, for more on Pure Worship. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your $5 donation helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and to help you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. So please give your $5 donation at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching series in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 28, called Pure Worship. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.